invite you to pray. Gracious God, we come seeking so many things, whether we know it or speak it or not. And we pray that you might continue to speak to us in our seeking, that we might hear a word from you. And having heard your scriptures read, we pray that the meditations and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. So this is the third Sunday of Lent and the third Sunday of our series on seeking. We began with the question, who are you listening to? An invitation to ask ourselves, do we seek to listen to the voice of God that speaks over the rooftops to us and invites us to heed God's voice? The question we asked last week was a question born out of a conversation between Jesus and this character, Nicodemus, who comes at night with this wonder, can he start anew? What does it mean to be born again? With an invitation for many of us to ask ourselves, what does newness of life look like for each and every one of us? And today the question is, do we thirst? Do we thirst? It's a question that I think we ask. It's metaphorical, but then also actual for some of us, or for many throughout the world. But the metaphorical question, do we thirst, is a question that I ask around the questions we ask. What I mean by that is that I ask many questions in my faith. It's actually probably been my downfalls. I always have felt like an outsider looking in to this thing. Just over this past week, I was spent my time in California at the Board of Ordained Ministries, where we sit down and we ask people what it look, you know, what it means to be faithful Christians in life, and how do they live that out in their ministry. It's the process that you have to go through, just like a lawyer or a medical doctor or any of the professional fields that you have to go and sit before a board. Well, I'm on that board and I ask questions, but it always seems quite interesting because even still to this day, almost all of the candidates that make it through have been Methodist longer than me, right? In fact, almost all of them have been Christians longer than me or followed in this thing called faith. They've, some of our, the pastors are, are kids of pastors and others have been growing up going to the Methodist church their whole life. It's only just the few that have found their way into the tradition. On top of that, I've only been in this region of the United Methodist church for some six years now. Before that, I was ordained in North Carolina and came from North Carolina over to CalPAC, and they didn't send me to California where people would get to know me because I go to district events. They sent me to Hawaii, right? And no one knows who I am and where, what I'm doing there because here's this guy who was in North Carolina and now is in this remote place, Hawaii, right? And in the district there. Only now are people starting to know who I am on that committee and what questions I have. So even though I find myself as a pastor before you, I feel like throughout my journey of faith that I have been an outsider looking in. And one of the things I think that brings as a gift to the communities that I find myself in is the questions I ask. And I have been relentless throughout my journey in doing just that asking questions. And I've shared many times about how when I became a Christian and fell into the Christian journey and I read the Bible for the first time and it was the questions I asked there. And then I went off to undergraduate school to study theology and I learned Hebrew. And did you know that when I did all of those things, I did not find the answers? In fact, I found more questions along my way. 
Because the more you learn about the Bible, the more questions that open up in the stories, and the more you start to ask the questions about the questions about the questions. In our story today, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. And if you don't know, Samaria was a place of animosity towards the Jews. They didn't like each other, the Samaritans and the Jews, and they didn't want to have anything to do with one another, although their religious lives were actually way more similar than one would think. It was just different enough to not be on the same page, in fact, to be very against one another. And friends, it is March time, and so just let me give me this caveat, is that it's kind of like the difference between Duke and University of North Carolina, because some of you know I went to Duke, and Duke won the ACC tournament yesterday, and then you have North Carolina. So there's my basketball plug, all right? But it actually is, we both love basketball. We're both like 10 miles apart from one another. You'd think that we would have so much to cheer for alongside one another, but when you go downtown Chapel Hill, you see all kinds of signs about how they do not like Duke. And whoever wins, they literally will take benches and burn them in the middle of their a university square in representation of how excited they are to defeat the enemy. That is how the Jews and the Samaritans viewed one another. Nothing good comes from Chapel Hill, friends, and nothing good comes from Samaria, although many good things come. He had to go through Samaria. And as he goes into Samaria, he encounters a woman and in the culture of the time, women and men typically weren't supposed to talk to each other. And especially that, a Jewish teacher who's upholding the law ought to remain a set of holiness codes that would live his life by. And one of which would be kind of interacting with the woman in general. The other, especially with this no good Samaritan woman, right? Because that was the stereotype for her. And to even ask her to drink from the water was to step outside the cultural norms, the expectations of a teacher, and he engaged in this conversation. And then it begins to unfold as a series of questions from this Samaritan woman. Questions that seem different to us, but seem very normal for the time. Questions like, why are you talking to me? And what do you mean by living water? You don't even have a bucket. And then later on, she asked the question, well, where are we supposed to worship? This is the mountain where our people worship, but you say it's supposed to be in Jerusalem. And he continues on. Holy spaces are kind of a weird thing for some people. In fact, you know, I remember when I was in high school, one of my first experiences of a holy space was when I was uh, at high school and we had the unfortunate and all too common nowadays experience of a threat to our school. It was a, a bomb threat that had come from a wing of my high school. And so there we were, we all had to funnel out of the school and find our way to the nearby designated shelters. And it just so happened that my wing of the school went to the Catholic church just a few blocks down. And there we were, a bunch of high school students in a Catholic church space. I grew up in Minnesota, so there was many Catholics that were there and many Lutherans. And I remember at that time, I had been following in my Christian journey enough. And a few of us were hanging out like up here by the table and it didn't take too long for us to be like hanging out up by the table for all of a sudden, you know, one of our Catholic friends comes up to us and goes, guys, guys, you can't be up 
there. <laughs> you can't be up there. And of course, I asked this question, well, why? Why can't we be up there? And I go, well, okay, you just can't be up there. It's the holy space. Only the priest is allowed up there. And I didn't understand because I didn't grow up going to a Catholic church and nothing I had been reading in the Bible had told me you can't go to a certain space and be in that. And so I was very weirded out by it. But of course, you know, we wanted to be polite and we eventually listened and everything was okay. There was no bomb in our school. I think it was someone trying to get out of class for the day. But it was a first experience of sort of, as a Christian, this religious structure that, you know, people had said, you can't do this because, well, it's holy. And they didn't know the answers, but they just knew you weren't supposed to do it. And I say that story because I think some of the questions that we hear from the Samaritan woman reflect the questions many of us have if you don't have that experience with institutional religion, or if you don't have that experience of that particular denomination's way of worship, like going up on the altar, well, that's fine. Everyone's welcome to come up to the table. We're invited to the table after all. But for some different denominations, it's just not something you do. So to ask ourselves, so I think many people ask why when it comes to religion. At the time in high school, I was worshiping at a church that said, we're not religious, we're a relationship with God. Has anyone ever heard that phrase before? Not religious, but a relationship. Just earlier this week, when I was looking up for this sermon, I was looking at some Pew research. And did you know, and maybe it's not too surprising for some of you that remember the 70s real well, as if it was uh, just yesterday, but in the 70s, some 70% of American population had strong trust in religious institutions. Do you want to take a guess for what that is now? <laughs> with all of the scandals of the Roman Catholic Church, with the you know, noise of those talking about the churches, or about what happens after Katrina, or different things, and God's sending God's punishment, with all the things that you hear from the institutional churches, and with friends, our own Methodist church splitting ways over concerns around LGBT, that now 36 or lower percent of America trusts in the institution of the church. But you say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, and not on the hill, the Samaritan woman asks. Questions about institution and the answers that the institutions give block people and are obstacles for people in their faith journey. And see, the thing that has always confused me is as someone who has found myself now deeply embedded, I'm on the board of ordained ministries. I'm the one, you know, kind of, I'm the gatekeeper in, so, in some respects. But the idea that the institution of the church is one that's to tell people what they're supposed to do still is a foreign concept to me. Because to me, the church is the place where we come to ask our questions together, to go deeper in our journey. And not just to ask questions, but to experience the divine. And it's not just now that I think that. That's been the desire of the church for millennia. The Byzantine Empire, or the Byzant during the Byzantine era, or not, yeah, Byzantine era, there was the Hagia Sophia that was built, the 6th century. 
And when Hagia Sophia was built, it was a Christian church. Now it's been uh, taken, well, not taken over, but it's been transitioned into a Muslim place of faith. But the sanctuary is built with one intention, to be the meeting place of the holy and the earthly. The entire sanctuary is built that you look at the cosmos and the divine, and as you enter into that space, the whole goal is that you might get a sense of the eternal within that space. The church has been, hopefully at best, a place where we might experience the divine. And friends, when we experience the divine, it doesn't come with all of the answers of what it's supposed to look like. And Jesus doesn't seem to begin this journey of our Christian faith with giving the woman all the answers. Instead, he speaks in obscurities. I will give you living water, and you'll never thirst again. What are you talking about? You don't even have a pitcher. <laughs> I'm not hungry anymore. Who gave you food to eat? Friends, our questions open us to a deeper engagement in our faith. And it's not just our questions of our head, but they're questions of our hearts. The goal that we have, or I think we ought to have in church, is a goal of coming with our questions and coming with our hearts open to experience the divine. It's not about telling people what they ought to do. It's not about judging people and whether or not they get in or out of heaven or hell. It's about coming to experience God's love and the manifested mystery of it. And friends, as you go beyond the walls of the church, it probably doesn't take you very long to talk to relatives or loved ones or people that have all sorts of obstacles in the way of this thing called church. And it's a reminder for us as we go of the importance of it all. We're going to be uh, talking about someone in just a little while here in the church, and that someone has just a number of lays on their neck already. But we're going to be celebrating the life of Anne McBurney here at our church later as a living treasure of us. And you know what I've uh, learned about Anne is Anne um, has been many Bible studies with us. And, you know, she's actually been at this church longer than I think anyone. It was back when we were down at the Bank of Hawaii, downtown Kailua, when it was the little white church. And you know what Anne has never said to me? All the answers of faith <laughs> and what it's supposed to look like to be a right and good, proper Christian in this world. Anne's the first to ask the questions in the class. She's the first to say, well, Brian, I don't know that I agree with you, which takes a little bit of courage to tell your pastor that you don't agree with him, but that's okay, because we're all exploring together. And she's the, also to recognize that she nor the church are not perfect beings or institutions. She's been in certainly many committee meetings enough where it's gotten out of hand a little bit or people were no longer Christian fellowship and nice with each other, but nonetheless, she's devoted her life to the mission of the church. 
So when someone says to you, I don't know about this thing called church, well, you should meet my friend Anne. When someone says to you, I don't know about this institutional religion, you should say to them, I don't know either. Let's ask the question together. And when someone tries to tell you that the church is just the place that puts the Bible down your throat or does this or does that, you can say, well, not my church. (laughs) Open hearts, open doors, open minds. Our goal in this thing called faith is to open ourselves to the mystery of God and to experience the love of God together. So no obstacles need stand in your way. In fact, I think the Samaritan woman tried to find every single opportunity to deny this faithful experience with Jesus. And it takes a level of vulnerability to recognize that you don't have all the answers or you don't know. It takes a level of vulnerability for Jesus to go to no good Samaria and to talk to this woman. Let us be vulnerable together. Let us share in this journey together. Let's ask the question, do you thirst? One of my professors once translated soul, you know, that thing that we talk about that, that kind of makes us move, comes from the Hebrew word nefesh, which also has this root in God's ruah, God's breath of life that comes into us and becomes our nefesh, which in Hebrew is not really translated soul as much as it's translated that, that which animates us and gives us movement and being. And this particular professor talks about all kinds of things, like how the root and all of the, the technical stuff come from the idea of the throat. And so his translation is not soul or living, that which makes me move, but do you thirst? Because it's in the thirst that we hope that God might quench our soul. It's in the thirst and the drive that gives us life and a movement. But that movement is one of searching and seeking for the living water. And let us do that together and follow in the footsteps of those that have tried to quench their thirst before us. I invite you to pray with me. God of love, we thank you that you open yourself to our questions, that you go out of your way to be with us always. And like the Samaritan woman, we can find all sorts of reasons why that ought not be the case. Help us be a people who thirst for your love to find its way into our soul and our being. Help us be a people that share with the world around us that our goal in this thing called faith is to thirst together, 
to experience the love that you give us, to find those thin places where heaven meets earth. So guide us as we go on this Lenten journey to experience your love anew and help us thirst together. Amen.